Yeah, I don't know if I want to be part of that book club. I feel like it would be a bit too contentious. I would just walk out of there going, what are they thinking? Um, He's already assuming that we have like different opinions and that our opinions are wrong. Again, I'm not going to comment any further. I don't want to get a little fire. Right yeah, okay. We know. We know. Um, yeah. So what was the question again? Oh, yeah. Um... Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers, by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Welcome, everyone. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Keep It Fictional podcast. My name is Sadie, and I am so very excited to be here with all of you to discuss books today. And I'm very excited to be here with all of my colleagues to discuss books today. So joining me today, I have Virginia, Fiona, Liz, and Kareen. So welcome, everyone. Welcome, welcome. So this is our fourth week of uh, celebrating Asian Heritage Month, and it has been such a wonderful, truly wonderful month of reading and sharing of all of the things that we have been reading. Before we get into our book selections, I just wanted to highlight um, one more time that we do have some uh, resources that you can access on our website. Um, so if you go to our website and go down to the latest news, you will find our blog post for standing in solidarity with all Asian communities. And this is something that we at the library feel very strongly about, not just during Asian Heritage Month, but in every month. Um, and we do um, want to say that we do stand in solidarity with all Asian communities. Um, and we are working, at least I can say personally, that I am working very hard to stop Asian hate and to stop um, anti-Asian uh, racism in my communities as best I can. Um, so if you are looking for resources, if you are looking for book lists, not just during Asian Heritage Month, but throughout the entire year, there is a never a bad time, never a wrong time um, to read books by uh, authors of Asian heritage. Uh, and you can find some wonderful suggestions and some wonderful uh, book lists through that site there, as well as some resources to stop Asian hate. So just wanted to highlight those again for anyone who may have seen them but forgot where they were or uh, wasn't aware that we had them up there. So I am very excited to see what books we are talking about today. Uh, today's theme, we are going a little bit um, of a free-for-all. We don't have any set guidelines for this week. Um, not necessarily adult, not necessarily kids or YA. We are just bringing um, our final suggestions to you uh, to celebrate Asian Heritage Month. So I think that I'm going to start today with Virginia. So Virginia, what is your pick for our Asian Heritage Month? You sure you want to start with the heaviest book for the day? Ooh, I, I'm going mean, to. I'm going to commit. I'm going to commit. Get it over with. <laughs> All right. <sighs> All right. So, like Sadie said, I'm really excited to be able to talk so many great books by authors of Asian descent. And for my last pick for this month, and I'm sure throughout the year we will have more. But for my last pick for this month, I decided to go with something that is not usually what I normally read, but I wanted a book to help me understand the perspectives of some of the people that I know and, and how they view this particular issue. So I, I wanted something to help me with that. And of course, I turn to books because books are wonderful in opening our eyes to different perspectives. So the book that I have for you today is Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Rebuy. Not only did I end up learning a lot more about what the issues are and why people think the way they think. It was also a very thoughtful look at what the author called to be the experience of a hyphenated person. Hyphenated like myself, you know, people might look at me and say, oh, Chinese Canadian, um, the author, the character is Filipino American, all of us hyphenated people that's 
never quite know where we belong. Always being told not Chinese enough, not Canadian enough, not Filipino enough, not American enough. So who are we? So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But this is the story of Jay. And Jay is in the last year of high school. And Jay is Filipino-American. His father immigrated to the States from the Philippines, and his mother is white, and they lived in Michigan. And spring break is coming, and Jay is looking forward to just relaxing away from all that applications for college, away from all that angst about what am I going to do after graduation? Just hang out with friends for a couple of weeks, play video games, play a lot of video games. But that was his plan before his parents told him that his cousin, June, was dead. June, just like many of his family on his father's side, they still live in the Philippines. And June is someone that he connected with way back when he went to the Philippines for a couple of weeks as a kid. And since then, they have been pen pals. They have been writing each other because June's father won't let them have electronics, so they can't email or do anything like that. So they stick to sending each other letters. June is very good at writing regularly. Jay, not so much. Things happen. Sometimes June will send a couple letters before he replies. And the last letter that he received from June, Jay has never replied to it. And before he could reply to it, he found out from his parents that June has run away from home. And now, of course, he can never reply it again because June is dead. He tried to ask his parents what happened. His parents won't really say anything about it, won't give him any details. His dad is being really evasive. His dad is just saying, like, you, you need to respect the family, they don't want to talk about it. So, you know, we're not going to talk about it. And even when Jay asked, is there going to be a funeral? When is it going to be? And his dad was like, there isn't going to be one. Your uncle doesn't want a funeral. This doesn't make any sense. Since his dad is not talking, he started to work on his mom and hoping, hoping that his mom would open up and tell him what's going on. And eventually he finds out from his mom that June was actually killed because of drugs. Jay doesn't understand because the June that he knows from the letters, the June that writes to him, that is not what they say June is. June cannot have anything to do with drugs. This makes no sense to him at all. And then one day he got a DM from his Instagram from some unknown person. And this person claims that he knows June and that June did not die because he was a drug user, because he was a drug dealer. That is a lie. Jay wrote to this person. Jay tried to get him more information, but that person never responded anymore. Jay can't just let it slide. He needs to know what happened to his cousin, partly because he feel really bad that he think maybe perhaps if I have replied to his letter, Maybe if I pay more attention to what he wrote in his letters, maybe this won't happen. So he feels really guilty. He blames himself for not taking care of his cousin. So now he wants to find the truth. He wants to know what happened to June. So he convinced his parents to let him go to the Philippines for spring break. His parents didn't really want him to do so, but he just keeps saying, well, you know, this might be my last chance to go to the Philippines because I'm going to be in college and it's going to be like really hectic and I'm not going to get a chance to do it. And, you know, you always tell me I need to connect with my roots and, you know, learn about my family. So I I'm going to do this. I'm ready to do this now. And so finally, they agree with the rules that he has to stay with his uncles and his aunts at all times. And not only that, he's not allowed to ask about June. And of course, the only reason why Jay is going is to find out more about what happened to June and to confront his uncles, to ask him why they're not even going to have a funeral for June. This story, of course, is about the war on drugs that is happening in the Philippines right now. It's estimated more than 20,000 people 
have been killed because of the orders and the policies and the laws that have been put in by the current president. People that are suspected of being drug users, suspected of being drug dealers, they are being executed by the police. They're being detained. And all of this is something that is happening right now. It is not a historical event. And the author is trying to tell the story, but in a lot of his interviews, he talk about how he wants to be responsible. He wants to understand what his role is in telling the story because he is Filipino-American, but he is not Filipino. He does not live in the Philippines. So what is his place in trying to bring this story to us? He did it in such a respectful and responsible way by taking us to the people in the Philippines, by trying to show us the disparity between the rich and the poor, to try to show us all sides of the story. He takes us right to the slums in Manila to let us experience what is happening in the Philippines so that we can understand that an issue that it seems so black and white, that seems so like one-sided has many, many, many sides to it. And it is a lot more complex than we might initially give it credit for. And in doing so, in making Jay go through this journey, starting from him thinking, oh, well, I'm going to go and solve this mystery. I'm going to go yell at my uncle. How can you be so unkind to your child? From him thinking that he is going to be the one to show them what is right, to learning more and confronting that privilege that we have as a bystander, as someone who does not live in the place and trying to make us sort of see how complex things are and and to learn about, for us to learn about the issues and also to then figure out what is, what, what should we do about it? What is our role? The more I think about the story, the more like I just look at it and I'm like, this is such a complex story that it's about so, so, so many things. We have what we just talked about, this sort of the social justice side of things, but it also very much about identity. Those of us who who have immigrated or, or are second generation and, and those of us who are trying to struggle to figure out like who we are and what expectations other people have of us. When somebody mentions something that is sort of your culture, you're like, well, you know, I, I, I know that culture. I can speak about it. But yet, can you really speak about it when you no longer live there? You have a different experience now because you, you're, you're in a different place. And, and also to understand sort of that huge sacrifice for a lot of families that have made to move their families somewhere else so that their kids, their family could have a better life. And, and that guilt that some of them might have still about because they are the ones who moved away. And there's just so many complex issues um, surrounding sort of what it is to be an immigrant that I think this book does such a thoughtful job in, in making that story known and making us look inwards to figure out who are we and to try to get us to think about that there's no a single story for any any person. I really hope that and, and strongly encourage everyone to read this book. I think this book should be read, should be discussed alongside other books that other great books that have been coming out recently, you know, by authors like Jason Reynolds and Angie Thomas and and all of those authors that are trying to tell us stories that may not be known. And especially in this case, something that happens somewhere else in the world that is happening right now and that may not get as much publicity, may not get as much talk about here in Canada um, and in America. So it is such a wonderful book. The more I kind of think about it, the more I realize how well this author has crafted this story for us to make us think. Please pick up Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye. Thank you so much, Virginia, for sharing that. That one has uh, come up on my on my radar before, so that's, that's wonderful to hear uh, such a strong recommendation for it as well.
Excellent. Uh, so I'm going to go next. And um, the book that I am talking about also kind of addresses um, the, the hyphenated individuals. And um, this book is written by a uh, Canadian Japanese author and uh, her mother, I believe was Japanese. Her father was British. Um, she now lives in Canada and she has two young children. Um, or at the time of the, she wrote the book, she had two young children and she wrote this book uh, for them. So this is a picture book and it is one of the sweetest, um, most just lovely picture books that I have read in a while. It is called Spork and it is by Keo McClear and the illustrations are by Isabel Arsenault. And I heard Keo speak to this book at a conference once and she kind of explained the reason that she, she wrote it and why she wrote it is because her children who were Canadian, Japanese, they, they did not see themselves anywhere. They did not see themselves fitting into one group or seeing themselves fitting into another group. And she wanted to write a story for them that, that, that represented a character that didn't need to fit into one group or, or the other, that was who they are. And in that, it made them special and it made them wonderful. Um, so she created the book Spork. So Spork is um, about a spork and spork struggles because they are not pointy enough to belong with the forks. They are not round enough to belong with the spoons at dinner time. They're never selected because they can't scoop up the peas like a spoon can. They can't spin the pasta like a fork can. And they get to sit there in the drawer, in the cutlery drawer every night, and they just get, they never get used. And so they try their best to, to fit in. They wear a bowler hat to make themselves rounder, but when they wear the bowler hat, the forks think that they are too round. So they wear a crown, a pointed crown to make themselves pointier, but when they wear a pointed crown, the spoons think that they are too pointy. And they are sad, they just, they don't have anywhere that they fit in until someone new comes to the table. And this new person, they don't eat in the same way that everyone else eats. They smear their food around. They bang their fists on the table and they bang their cutlery on the table. And they need something that can be used as a spoon or a fork in any instance. And so Spork steps up and this new person picks up Spork and, and realizes that Spork is the perfect utensil for them. When I heard uh, Keo speak to this book as well as do a reading from this book, it just, it really touched my heart. It was just this beautiful story of fitting in and kind of trying to find your identity. And she knew that her children coming into this world were going to be struggling with that. That was something that they would uh, they would struggle with um, as a mixed race person. She knew that she struggled with that and she wanted to, to kind of write something for them and create something um, that they could look to, to see that they, they were special just as they were. They didn't necessarily need to fit into one group or the other group. They were their own person and all of the things about them made them uh, made them special. So it's just a very touching book. Uh, so again, that's Spork by Keo McClear, um, illustrations by Isabel Arsenault. All right, for our third book, I'm going to go to Corrine. So Corrine, what have you brought us for your uh, final pick for this month's book chats? I like the little like frisson of fear when you're kind of like circling around the Zoom room looking of like who's going to have to talk about their book next. And Fiona and Liz and I are just perfectly still trying <laughs> not to attract any attention Mm -hmm. Much like uh, the Tyrannosaurus Rex in Jurassic Park, we think that if you if we don't move, you can't see us. Maybe didn't work. It didn't work. Sure didn't. <laughs> but that is fine. I am always happy to talk about my book. And for my last kind of choice of the month, I kind of wanted to highlight uh, a piece of genre fiction, and specifically in the cozy mystery genre. It is like 
my go-to beach pick. It is when I just want my brain to be like pleasantly soothed. I just want a couple people to be murdered and they probably have it coming and it's fine. And like bad people do bad things and that's great because they're going to find justice in the end and it's all okay. So I love the cozy mystery genre. I specifically this is maybe a little bit niche, love cozy mysteries about food. There is a specific series about tea. There's a specific mystery series about eggs. Anything that you want, any food stuff that you want a cozy mystery around, you can find it. So I kind of wanted to highlight some of the awesome work being done by authors of Asian heritage in the cozy mystery genre, which is pretty monochromatic. So I want to highlight and boost this great book. The author lives in Singapore and has two mystery series going. It is The Great Avidia Yu. And the series that I would like to talk about is Auntie Lee's Delights, subtitled A Singaporean Mystery. So it is about Rosie, Auntie Lee, who is a bit of a rich widow. She's a little feisty. She likes getting her way. She likes poking her nose into people's business. And although after the death of her very rich husband, she could have just sat back, enjoyed living the high life, she decided that she wanted to get her hands a little bit dirty. She wanted to go to work. And so she set about creating what is called a home cooking culinary empire. So Auntie Lee doesn't do kind of like the flashy new cuisine. She does the down-home good cooking, the cooking that your grandma made for you, the cooking that your mom made for you, the comfort foods, and she makes them better than anyone else in Singapore. Now, as I said, Auntie likes to poke her nose into other people's business. And so when two bodies are found on Sentosa Island, which is kind of like a tourist haven in Singapore, Auntie Lee thinks, well, of course, kind of what did they expect? It was previously known as the Island of Death. You're just kind of asking for it. However, it turns out that she actually knew one of the people involved. And what is more suspicious is that on the same day that these people were killed is that someone did not arrive to her dinner party. Such a shocking event, she realizes, must be linked to the murder because what else could you be doing that you would miss out one of her famous food and wine pairing nights? Clearly, you were involved in a crime. So... With the help of uh, senior staff sergeant Salim and Nina, her housekeeper, she decides to poke her nose in some crime and discover what is rotten on the island of Sentosa. So this is a cozy mystery series. There's lots of food. There's lots of characters. Everyone is a little bit larger than life. What I really like about it is that obviously it's very much in the genre of Agatha Christie's Miss Marple or Jessica Fletcher, where it's kind of like an older, bossier lady who's not going to take no for an answer. And she's going to kick down any door that she needs to to get the answers, but like politely, and then she'll make you do it. And then she'll make you feel guilty about it afterwards. She's just like a fantastic character to kind of roam around Singaporean society with. And what I really like about what Ovidia Yu does in her books is that there's often the kind of cozy story that's going on in the foreground. And in the background, there's a little bit of social commentary on, on happening behind the scenes. So in this book and the rest of the series, she talks a lot about the mix of people in Singapore. So the ethnic Chinese, the Malay, the in Indian, Eurasian, Filipino, the tourists, and kind of all the tensions that exist between those groups, the parts where they get along really well, but also the parts that are still kind of left over from that British colonial system. So the sometimes contentious relationship between groups of who was privileged and who was not, and how that legacy continues to exist in the society today. So it is a wonderful beach read if you are looking to just kind of be transported away to Singapore to have all the delicious food described to you and really want to sit down at that wine and food pairing tasting. I would absolutely recommend um, picking up Auntie Lee's Delights and the rest of the very, very good series. Um, there are three books out so far and I can only hope that there will be more. That sounds absolutely delightful, Corrine. It's so fun. It's so fun. Mm -hmm. Nice. I think I will definitely pick up one of those. <laughs> Excellent. 
Well, before we move on to our next picks, we are going to play a little game. So today we are going to play a couple rounds of Would You Rather. So I'm going to ask our librarians a Would You Rather question that has to do with books, and it is up to them to select which impossible choice they would rather choose. So we're going to start with Would You Rather only own as many books as you can carry at a time or only be able to buy one new book every three months? I mean, I I can carry a lot of books. Anyone who's seen me walk out of the library with my backpack full knows that I can carry a lot of books, but I need these. I need these books. Need them. I, I, can, I can curtail my habits, but I cannot do without, without my children. I was going to say, because you're quite the book buyer. I feel like, uh, like yeah. you are. Yeah. But again, I work at the library so I can get all those new things. And then I would just cheat because who's auditing my system? <laughs> no, no checks or balances in place. So <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, Liz, what about you? Do, you? do you have a would you rather? Would you rather? Buying one book every three months sounds like a really long span in between. Not that I buy a lot of books, but I just like having the option um, to buy books. However, can I also cheat and carry all of the books that I can handle in my e-reader? Ooh. If so, I choose I choose this route. All the e-books I can handle. That is fair. I, I feel like you found the workaround to that. Mm-hmm. Virginia, looks like you agreed with that. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be my walk around and my clarifying question was like, as long as like, it's how many I can put on here, right? So it doesn't mean that like I have to do it all at once. I can just keep buying it until this is full, which it's going to take a while. So yes, definitely do the as many as I can carry. <laughs> <laughs> this is not taskmaster. This isn't like a workaround. I don't know though, Kareen, you said yourself that you were going to cheat anyways. So can we really be judgmental of other people's cheating? Cheat in different ways. (laughs) I like to have my physical books, so I would not be taking the workaround personally. But I also feel like a book, a new book every three months would actually be like more books than I buy now. So I would be totally down for that. I think, yeah, that sounds great. Like, can I just switch to that now? Fair. I, I agree with you, Fiona. I, I tend to not buy a ton of books throughout the year. So, so yeah, one, one every three months is, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. All right. All right. We're kind of split on that one. A couple workarounds, a couple cheating. <laughs> all right. For our next question, would you rather have a friend write a best-selling series where the villain is based on you or have your parent publish a memoir about all of your most embarrassing childhood stories? Villain. That's fine. I love villains. If I can be good, if I can be good enough to be a villain, yeah, go for it. I think that'd be pretty cool. (laughs) Am I a competent villain in this story? I don't want to be like a comedic, but I want to be good at what I'm doing. I want to excel in villainry. Fair. That's fair. I mean, you'd have to talk to your friend about that. You'd have to discuss uh, the specifics of your vil- villainry. So we have two two villains, two villains. Liz, Fiona, would you rather be a villain or have all of your secrets revealed to the world? I think I chose choose the villain option as well. It, I'd be a little offended, like the idea that, you know, they didn't choose to base the hero on me. Um, but yeah, villains are also great. So, you know, if there was like, a nice little talk beforehand of like, you're just so smart. I needed to make you the clever villain, you know? Yeah. So you'd want the justification for why exactly you were chosen. Mm-hmm. You're always wearing black anyways. You might as well. <laughs> so I, I am assuming you're the friend that I have to watch out for. <laughs> Not to drop any names or anything. Yeah, I'm going to go villain uh, for sure. It almost doesn't matter if, you know, I'm the adept villain or the sort of bumbling kind of, well, I did a bad thing villain. It's a heck of a lot better than having everything about me told by my parents through their lens, especially. So um, almost don't care what kind of villain I am. Like without being able to explain yourself as well. Like without, yeah. I, um, 
I knew someone who was, their story was written into a book and for every copy of the book that they gave to people they knew, they wrote in the margins what actually happened in, uh, to compare it to what was actually written in the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So yeah, I think we're all, all for villains. I think it would be fun to be cast as the villain. It would be, uh, a lot of fun to be put into that role. Okay. Question number three, would you rather lend all of your books to friends who never return them or only read books that nobody else has read so you can never discuss them? I feel like I'm pretty selfish, but I'm fine with reading books that other people don't read. No one wants to hear about the books I read anyways most of the time. I come jumping downstairs. I'm like, let me tell you about this cult. They don't want to hear it. So I'm fine with that. They're just using that as uh, as ammunition for when they write you as the villain. You're going to be the leader of a cult. You're going to be... <laughs> I've done a lot of background research. <laughs> yeah, definitely reading books that then the one, it doesn't matter. I can just talk to myself about it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I feel like, like I, I've talked about this book club a couple of times before and I, I feel like um, even if two people like the same book, as soon as you start to talk about it and there's like any sort of difference of opinion, it just gets so awkward. And so like, maybe it's better to just not talk about it. <laughs> this is great where we have a platform. We're the ones who've read it. We just tell you it's great. You don't have a chance to answer back. <laughs> yeah, and we're all polite to say, we don't agree with that. <laughs> Are we? <laughs> I feel like we, we may have started by voicing our opinions a bit more, but we've tended to, to quiet down a little bit. I'm ready to fight anytime, anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make each other read the same. Like, we'll have to do a book club. Like, we'll all mm. read the same book. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. we can fight about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I want to be part of that book club. I feel like it would be a bit too contentious. I would just walk out of there going what are they thinking um yeah that's kind of off topic but um he's already assuming that we have like different opinions and that our opinions are wrong again i'm not gonna comment any further no, okay. <laughs> we know we know <laughs> um yeah so what was the question again oh yeah um <laughs> it's a pet peeve of mine when people don't return things that they borrow um especially books there, there was a copy of a Waste and Choi book I lent to somebody over 10 years ago. And I still think to that day, to this day, like, hmm, where is that book now? I hope somebody is enjoying it because I sure am not right now. I'm not. You can address that right now. Who is it? <laughs> we, we'll, check, we'll check that person down for you. I'm not there. No, you know who you are. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> But you see, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I would be okay with never discussing the books, I think. I get sad when people don't share my opinions and I feel like my opinion is wrong. So I, I, <laughs> I, I think it's probably for the best if I don't uh, discuss the books I read. <laughs> I, I don't think Fight Book Club is for everyone. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I agree. It's like I'm not precious about everything, but like books. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to hear when you disagree yeah. with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it feels like I second guess. I'm like, well, did I actually enjoy it? Like, are my tastes actually legitimate, or maybe they're not? Maybe they're wrong. <laughs> I think that must be like the English degree thing, where it's like I have an opinion and I'm digging the trench. I'm in this opinion. Come at me. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I can see that. I can see that. We need to find you a worthy opponent, Karine. I mean, that's that's a villain origin story right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for answering the would you rather questions. It's always fun to to pretend to terrorize ourselves with these choices. 
All right. Next, we are going to go to Liz. Liz, what is your final book that you are bringing us this month? Okay. So um, today I have for you a graphic novel, uh, and it is by a Canadian author of South Asian Heritage, and she has previously authored and illustrated a great satirical look, feminist look at the world called Woman World. Now, today she has Cyclopedia Exotica, uh, which was just out earlier this month um, and has been getting a lot of really good buzz. Uh, again, published by Drawn and Quarterly, one of my favorite graphic novel uh, publishers, also Canadian. So Cyclopedia Exotica opens up claiming to um, show everybody in the two eyes world, that's, that's us here, all two eyes, what the history of the Cyclops people is. And it lists the Cyclops as, quote, an exotic subspecies of archaic humans. Now, their history has been fraught with violence between themselves and us, the two eyes. Then the book goes into an anatomical overview of the Cyclops. So they all have one eye that uh, covers a wide angle and also sees very well in low light. The females of the species have one breast and two uteri. So interestingly enough, they can have double pregnancies. Once one baby comes out, then the other starts gestating. And there's also some other anatomical stuff where you'll just have to read the book about. I don't think I really want to get into that here. It's not relevant for our purposes today. Anyways, the Cyclopedia Exotica continues on to talk about myths about Cyclopes, including that they are violent, which is totally not the case. They're actually a very peace-loving, asocial people um, who have a history in sheep herding and live in caves. Now, this stigma, however, has carried on to the present day, um, where they have faced a lot of um, oppression and biases, such as in policing. And now, in the late 19th century, the Cyclopes started to move from the rural areas and their uh, shepherding lifestyle to the cities. However, there were very few job opportunities for them. And anything we would see in the popular culture of the time, uh, for example, stories, plays, etc., written about Cyclopes were actually written by two-eyed authors. So none of that own voices stuff. However, things started to change in 1978 when a popular nude magazine featured a cyclops named Etna on their cover. And they renamed the issue of the magazine to be called Cyclops. So that was sort of groundbreaking. Somebody who was a cyclops was viewed as an object of sexual desire and attractive, marketed to the two eyes community. Now, after all of this historical stuff about uh, the Cyclops people, we move into our present day and the real meat of the book, which is the comics. The author features about 10 different um, Cyclops here, and we get to see their stories in little comic vignettes. Some are one-pagers, some are a bit longer. Got Perry and Tim, they're an interracial couple. Perry is a Cyclops who is pregnant with their first as well as their second child. We also have Braun. He was the first to sign up for the Unify company's eye surgery, which gave him two eyes. However, unfortunately, uh, this was very unforeseen. People who underwent this uh, dual eye surgery got eye decay in the second eye. So he now is back to uh, being one-eyed, however, wearing an eye patch. So he's kind of stuck between these two worlds here. Two eyes, Cyclops, what is he? Um, we also have Paul, who is single and ready to mingle. However, he's finding that all of these blind dates he's going on just aren't working out. To put it bluntly, he's been a bit fetishized. Yeah, there's certain expectations some of these women have, these two-eyed women have, and he's like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not that kind of a Cyclops. And then we have Latea, who is a model, and she's considered quite attractive, but she is kind of waffling on morality issues because she's been asked to 
model different products such as contact lenses for the Unify company. Yes, that company who rolled out that botched dual eye surgery. Anyways, uh, we've got a whole host of comics featuring these cast of characters, most of whom are friends with each other and uh, their storylines intertwine with each other. What's great about these comics is that you can kind of read them on the surface and have a good laugh. They stand alone really well. However, if you are looking for something a bit deeper and, and kind of looking for that satirical uh, angle that um, Dhaliwal is so good at, there is a lot of depth in behind her stories. You can liken the experiences of Paul and Braun and Perry and Tim and Latea to the minority experience. There's, there's a lot of talk about otherness, about, as we mentioned, fetishization of treating the cyclopes as exotic. A lot of microaggressions, are they being treated this way because they are a cyclops or is it something else that's not related to who they are racially? There's a lot about beauty ideals. Not only did Braun go through his dual eye surgery, but Perry also basically did her uniboob separation surgery as well. So a lot of attempting to conform to the two eyes standards of beauty, and yet sort of still being told you're not quite one of us. I really love this book. It really surprised me in a lot of ways. I went into it not knowing that this was sort of a tongue-in-cheek look using humor to sort of point out the ridiculousness of sort of the stereotypes uh, and also uh, the prejudices against people who are considered other or different or an immigrant or just not like somebody else or not what popular culture deems to be beautiful or acceptable or smart or funny um, or interesting. It's just such a great tool, a great vehicle um, to show us the absurdity of, you know, why, why we sort of push people away despite the fact that we have all of these commonalities and yet all of these interesting things that make us beautiful. So I really do recommend this one. Um, I'd say this was at least as good as her first book, Woman World, if not better. Definitely check this one out if you're looking for something with a little bit more depth behind it. Cyclopedia Exotica by Aminder Dalila. Thank you, Liz. That sounds delightful. And I know Fiona talks about Women's World in one of our episodes. So big fans of the author's work here, I think. So thank you for bringing that. It sounds so good. I have to get a hold of that book. I was in a bookstore yesterday, and I think that it has a different cover. And I don't know why, because that cover looks so good. So They put out a temporary cover that's only available in Canada, I know. <laughs> a special edition one, I think. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, I saw it, and I'm like, this is not the same as what I remember it to be. But it's good, because that one looks so good. All right. Well, thank you, Liz, um, for bringing us a graphic novel, um, a different look of, like you said, the what we say the other. Um, so Fiona, last but not least, what book have you got for us today? All right. So I have also chosen a graphic novel. Um, I feel like in a free for all, it's just I went I went straight to a graphic memoir, um, uh, a spot that I really like. So I will give you uh synopsis of what it's about and then I'm going to try to get not get too tongue twisted and excited uh, about talking about why I think this is a really relevant book uh, and how it connects to everything that all my great co-workers have been saying. So the book I chose is uh, The Band Book Club uh, by Kim Hyun Suk uh, with her husband Ryan Estrada and the art is by uh, Ko Hyung Joo. I couldn't find much info about the uh, artist, uh, but like I said, the two authors are married, and it is actually a memoir of um, Kim Hyung Suk from when she was going to university in the early 1980s in Korea. So this book follows her um, 
it starts out when she's been accepted to go to university uh, and she's really excited. Um, she's had to convince her traditional mother that as a woman, um, she should still go to university and that even though it's gonna be expensive, it's gonna be worth it. Uh, she's so excited to get away from her parents' little steak restaurant and really get out on her own and become her own person. She wants to get involved with campus life while she's there. Um, and so she joins a folk dance team where she meets a very handsome boy who, who invites her to a book club. Now, uh, she's noticed a lot in, on campus that a lot of the students are very active in protesting uh, against the government. And uh, at this time, it is the Fifth Republic in South Korea. And what she doesn't realize is that the government is uh, censoring and imprisoning protesters like this and uh, is repressing them through violence. So she comes to college like fairly naive about all of this stuff and then is invited to this book club. Uh, that it turns out is actually a banned book club. So even though she's trying to be good, uh, you know, not get into trouble, just focus on her studies, she falls into this book club where they read banned books and she's essentially radicalized. So it's a really great story um, looking at a specific period in Korea's history. And I think it would be great no matter what, uh, but the fact that it's a memoir and it, it, it really gives you that direct perspective was just pretty eye-opening to me. You know, my colleagues have talked a lot today about different identities, especially about people who are, who are dealing with dual identities and trying to find where to fit. And this book is from someone who, who she lives in Korea. She's, she's Korean, she um, hasn't immigrated. But for me, books like these are always a huge eye-opener because we learn when we learn about history, it's so North American. And like I opted to take world history in high school and I loved it. But even from that, we're looking at, you know, conflict that happens between countries, including North America. That's sort of the like, no matter what, you can't get away from that. And I love reading books that give me a historical perspective in other countries, because often it's the story of what happens after colonialism or imperialism. And then I think a lot of us have this big gap. And just vaguely, I think it's important because we live in a country where there's so many people from so many different places and having an understanding of why of the conflicts in the world, you know, people come to Canada for all sorts of reasons, but often it's because of conflict or violence, whether it's through immigration uh, and you want your children to have a better future or you are a refugee and you don't have a choice. Um, and I think it's really valuable to understand those conflicts. And so for me, this was a huge hard part of history in Korea that I didn't know anything about. I didn't know about this um, uh, oppressive Fifth Republic, all of the censorship that was going on. And it also came in a comic. <laughs> so it was like, ah. <laughs> um, just like, yeah. So I feel like I got so much out of, you know, what, what doesn't really take you that long to read. So, if you're interested in history, and especially because this is so, you know, there are a lot of things that I think people can relate to now with censorship and fake news um, that this book approaches. Uh, the characters are great, the art is fantastic, and then at the very end, there's actually a picture um, a real-life picture of the characters in the book and the author. Yeah, then meeting up, however, like 30 years, 25 years later, and, and just looking at these people who were um, activists, and then they sort of had to, like, you know, their, their life has fallen out from that. Um, everything has expanded from there. Some of them had to leave uh, because they were being targeted by police. Um, so yeah, it was, it was 
a good learning experience and also very enjoyable. I'm excited to seek out more books about this period of time. Another one that com- came up when I was thinking about it was um, Kim Ji Young, born 1982, that I know a lot of us read last year, and it was really fantastic um, because it, it is sort of that progression of this is happening in about 1982, and then that character would have been born there, and it's sort of what happens afterwards, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> not like related works in any way um but for me it helped me pull this through line um of history and especially looking at um a female experience so I appreciated that a lot I think that's all I have to say about that I always love them like a graphic memoir just I'll read it I'll read anything so if you feel the same way pick it up <laughs> Thank you so much, Fiona. And thank you all of us for bringing so many different kinds of books to our four book chats in the past four weeks for Asian Heritage Month. Um, as Fiona pointed out, whether it is a graphic novel, whether it is a kid's picture book, whether it is a young adult book, you know, a cozy mystery, all of them provide us a way to see differently about the world and learn a little bit about a different perspective. And books really does that really, really well, whether it is the stories or a memoir, fiction or nonfiction. So I hope you enjoy some of the picks and that you will pick some of them up this month and the rest for the rest of the year. And so, yeah, anybody else? I'm excited about the um, depth. I think this has brought to my reading um yeah and I think that definitely it's something that I will continue into the future is you know maybe not with your spreadsheet but definitely wanting to make sure I always have um (laughs) Asian authors as part of my reading list where's Sadie I need Sadie back She's not here. Getting up on her. The person who understands. Who understands? All right. Well, thank you again um, for all of you for watching and listening. Um, we will see you again next week. Have a good week. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then. Keep it fictional.